anybody who's clued into the realities of progressing at any skill, even personal improvement, knows the importance of rules. But also the greatest people, I think, are those that understand then when to break them after they've had a good, a good mastery of them. Welcome to Stoa Conversations. My name is Caleb Ponteveros. And Trombley? Yeah, sorry, oh, sorry. I didn't give you a <laughs> you cut me off. <laughs> um and today we're gonna to be talking about <laughs> Seneca on rules. He's got this wonderful chapter or letter, I should say, in the letters to Lucilius, uh, number ninety-four, that I think is really relevant to thinking about self-improvement, the role of things like rules. Sometimes we use the term heuristics, rules of thumb, proverbs, because on one hand, the Stoics give so many of those throughout their writing and works. Uh, but on the other, there's always this question, you know, what role should those play in uh, self-improvement and self-development and becoming more Stoic? Yeah. And the way I like to think about these things is you have ethics, which is the question of what's right and wrong. And then you have moral education, which is the question of, well, once you agree the right way to live, how do you go about becoming that kind of person? How do you engage in self-transformation? And so this chapter that we're going to be talking about today, this letter from Seneca, is about that question of moral education. And as you said, what role do these precepts, uh, these heuristics or these rules, what role do they play in moral education? Are they helpful? Or are they something that a beginner should use, but the advanced person shouldn't use? Are they actually harmful because they make us think we've progressed when we haven't? They make us focus on memorizing lists of specific actions instead of becoming the kinds of people that can reason and act virtuously from our own decision-making process, things like this. So uh, I think a relevant conversation for today, uh, certainly for the project we're doing here with, with Stoic Conversations. And I, and I always love when there's, ever, when there's something I find just as interesting today and you have people like Seneca, you know, debating it 2000 years ago, that always just makes me think, okay, we're onto something really important here. And uh, we, we've, we've landed on something that's worth talking about uh, if, if we're still interested in it today. Cool. Anything else you wanted to say, Caleb, before I jump into it? No, no, let's, let's do it. Cool. So, um, yeah, so by, by way of context, we've already pr provided some background there. So this is uh, Seneca's letters uh, on ethics, also called his letters to Lucilius. It's a collection of letters that he wrote on ethics sometimes thought to be a literary device, you know, sometimes thought to also be uh, a literal conversation with the understanding that it would be read by other people as well. But it, this is, this is, I would say, Seneca's main ethical work or the one that I always go back to. And then in this letter, he's focusing on, well, what's the role of these instructions? What's the role of these precepts? Um, some examples he gives are things like how to be a wife or husband, how to parent, I think ironically, he talks about the rules about how to manage your slaves, which I think is a, an interesting example of maybe some of the issues of precepts, right? Well, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're get, being given instructions on how to manage your slaves, you know, there's nothing ethical about that. There's nothing ethical or beneficial about learning how to manage your slaves properly. Um, you've missed the point entirely. So something, I, I think that's a funny example that Seneca brings up. And then I would say that also falls under the category of what we're discussing. In my translation, Seneca's using the word precepts, but I think what also falls under that 
uh, umbrella is proverbs, any sort of kind of emotional be summary of how to act um, and how to motivate yourself. So, you know, examples of forgetting trouble is the way to cure it, or this idea that fortune favors the brave, but the coward is foiled by his faint heart. These are examples of proverbs that can maybe direct your ethical action, motivate you, focus your attention, things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Seneca points out that there's actually a debate about the role of these rules and precepts in Stoicism. So there's a debate between Stoics. On one camp, you have Aristo. We did an episode on him, episode 41. He's really, if there was going to be a break from Stoicism, a hardcore break or schism within Stoicism, he was going to be the one that to do it. I don't think he really ever got enough um, support but to, to, ha- to constitute a, an entirely different school or entirely different uh, sect of Stoicism. But Aristo was, was radically different from previous Stoics. In particular, we go into this in, in episode 41, but particular in the focus on um, virtue above all else and less emphasis on navigating indifference and that comes with that is less of an emphasis on role ethics, less of an emphasis on, you know, again, how to be a wife or husband, how to parent, these kinds of discussions. There still would be the kind of person who would say, well, this is pointless, figure out how to be virtuous. And then, you know, you, being, a, being a husband or wife will be easy after that. Mm-hmm. So on one, on one camp, we have Aristo, who argues that these precepts or these rules, they're useless. Um, the bad person will not do a good thing if you tell him to, and the good person does not need rules. So, you know, if I tell the thief not to steal, they will steal. And I can tell the good person not to steal. They won't steal anyway. That's Aristotle's point. Right, and then right. in, the, in the other camp, we have Cleanthes. Cleanthes is one of, the, one of the leaders of the Stoic school, or the second leader of the Stoic school uh, after Zeno and before Crispus. And Cleanthes argues that these rules have value, more of like a common sense, I'd say grounded position. These rules have value as long as they derive from the system of Stoic philosophy. So a bad rule is not helpful. A good rule is helpful. And a good rule is one that is grounded in Stoic philosophy. It follows from what Stoicism has to say. Um, and, and so Seneca wants to dive into this question. So this is an interesting question. Let's dig into it. And he, he wants to frame this around two. He asks two questions about this debate. First, are rules useless? So do they have any role in our moral education? And the second question, if they're not useless, do they make the rest of philosophy useless? So if you can be good just by following rules, what's the point of a deeper theoretical understanding so, uh, so of what underpins those rules? So it's kind of, it's, he's kind of trying to respond to both extremes, right? It, you know, is it the case that they're useless? How can you defend them from being useless? Or is it the case that they're worthwhile? And if they are worthwhile, what's the point of me studying logic? What's the point of me studying physics? Can't I just have the wise Stoic tell me what to do and I do them? I do that and I'm good to go. I, I think this is a really interesting chapter and I wanted to dig into it for a couple of reasons. Um, I think Stoicism is often you know, something we, we, we worry about it being applied philosophy, want it to change our lives. But what it means to apply Stoicism, you know, our, our podcast itself is, is called uh, you know, Stoicism Applied. What that looks like in practice can often be vague. We often run into this issue. I, I think we have this issue, Caleb, on this show of you don't want to be too prescriptive. 
you don't want to say, well, this is exactly what you should do in this exact situation because we, we often don't know people's circumstances. You know, there, there's, we want to apply stoicism, but it seems like a lot of stoicism is con, uh, contextual. It depends on the specific people and the specific places and their specific roles. Um, so there is even a, even between us, I think, a worry that rules are harmful. And I think we're cautious not to provide rules too much. Uh, maybe some general ones about, you know, this is what good thinking looks like. There's maybe some things you sh certainly shouldn't do. You shouldn't value things that are not worth valuing. You shouldn't have false judgments. But that's, we, I feel like sometimes we stay at this really general level. We don't come on this show and say, you know, this is how you should treat, this is exactly how to treat your friends. This is exactly how to, you know, act, act in your job. Because I think a lot of that stuff is contextual. Um, and I find also myself, I have a kind of aversion to these kinds of rules. I find myself, I, I find them a bit, I don't know if icky is the right word, but like things like don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. These have always seemed too general to me. And I, and I, I've never been attracted to any sort of philosophy that, that presents itself in that way because I think, well, no, don't lie. Well, that, that depends on the circumstance. Don't steal. It depends on the circumstance. Um, and so I, I, I think I'm also, I'm sympathetic to Aristo, even though I might not go the full way. And then the other thing I think to keep in mind here that's interesting is that a lot of ethical schools do that are not Stoicism do rely on these rules or do think at least for beginners that these rules can capture much of um, much of ethical philosophy. So I think of something like the Ten Commandments. You know, that's a set of precepts, a set of, a set of rules to follow. That, I mean, literally commandments, right? Literally a, a set of rules that encapsulate a, a lot of of Christian ethics. So. It is this. It is this active question in ethical philosophy that different schools use, and some don't, so on and so forth. But that's my, that's my setup for why I think it's worth talking about before we dig into it. Anything for you to add? Yeah, yeah. I think maybe another framing on this conversation is, you know, Seneca's defending to some extent the use of rules in Stoicism, and Seneca, you know, he won. He won the debate. That's Stoics <laughs> use rules, but then the question is, how do you do that well? And Aristo's challenge was taken seriously, and I did cause people to at least reflect on how to use heuristics well and accurately captures ways they are, you know, misused. And in a sense, I think also, even if Aristo didn't. Uh, when in the Stoic tradition, there is still a, a fundamental philosophical challenge that's you know worth thinking through. So I think, but you both have that general, you have that theoretical challenge, and then after that philosophical theoretical challenge, you have that other philosophical question. You know, how do you use rules well? If that's something you are going to do. Yeah, I mean that's great, and then I, and. A modern example, I can think of these inspirational quote Instagram pages where you have maybe a stoic quote taken out of context. That's a that that would be maybe my best formulation of best modern example. Before we dig into Aristotle's criticisms, that example of of where, you know, that's that's a quote that follows from Stoic principles, according to Cleanthes, right? Because it's something that a Stoic said, presume assuming it's not a misquote. But there's something that I think I at least get like some alarm bells go off if you think that is the way to become a better person is only, it has its rule, but certainly not only 
to you know be reading these kinds of quotes or even acting on them right because sometimes we can't act on them properly without the greater context so so i think yeah those are great i think instagram pages are a great modern or instagram quote pages are a great modern example of uh what aristo is complaining about and perhaps what seneca might issue warnings about as well uh, that they certainly have their uses I, I suppose the question always arises then well what, what are we can we be a little bit more precise about what a rule means and my stab would be something like well there are two kinds of rules there are rules about what you this that the stoics give in particular rules about sort of what you ought to do guides for action um, and then there are also these proverbs or heuristics about ways the world tends to be so for instance you can just go to seneca and one piece of advice he gives is you should spend time reflecting on how you use your time you should have a time budget now that's not something that is like a strict fundamental stoic principle it's not uh dogma but it's a general uh, you know, general piece of advice of this is something you ought to do if you want to be virtuous, know how you spend your time. And then you also have rules that are about the way the world tends to be. So there are many common proverbs about this, you know, like out of sight, out of mind. That's a claim about, you know, human psychology. Of course, there are also contradictory ones like absence makes the heart grow fonder or something like that. Uh, I suppose an, a stoic one would be uh, something like Seneca gives advice if you choose to have a friend uh, on reflection, trust them fully, and they in turn will repay that trust. So that's sort of a claim about you know human psychology, how things will, will turn out, and a claim about how the world will tend to be in that sense. So, and so you have those two kinds of rules, and the main difference, I suppose, between rules and what you might think of as fundamental principles of Stoicism, or uh, you could say dogmas would be the traditional term would be these rules are not foundational to the philosophy and they are usually you know these more general claims about ways things tend to be uh or things one generally ought to do you know these rules of thumb heuristics yeah i think that's so the, the distinction is between there's there's general advice on how to act then there's general descriptions of the way the world is and then in the third bucket, there's the dogma, which is like the core Stoic claims, virtue is the only good, uh, you know, indif uh, maybe maybe knowledge is virtue, mm -hmm, um, right. things like this. And, and the, the idea would be like, those are not rules or heuristics. Those are fundamental pieces of Stoic theory. That's, what, that's, that, that's, that's your point. The rules or heuristics are these kind of general guidelines of how to act. And you can have those at a more particular level. You can have those at like, as as Seneca says, at the level of how to be a proper husband, you know, which maybe would invite, you know, detail how you're supposed to act with your wife, how you're supposed to act with your children, your responsibilities towards the household, things like this. And then you can have it at a more general level. Uh, I just opened up Seneca's letter four. The first line is persevere in what you have begun. You know, that kind of general advice about like stick to it. Um and so there's a difference there between those, and I think that difference between that and dogma is a really is a really valid one. So it's not, it's not about Aristotle's not concerned about. Uh, it's not a skeptical position, not concerned about us holding positions to be true in Stoicism, or arguing for for better or worse ways to live. It's about the the use of these kind of general 
uh, prescriptive rules of thumb. Um, it was that, is that a fair, is that a fair summary? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's great. I think we're, uh, that makes, that makes sense to me. Um, and I think we're set to, you know, dive into what, what, what were Aristo's problems with rules? Why does he so anti-rule? Yeah. Anti-rule, but it's the bad boy. Um, so yeah, let's do it. Uh, so what are, what's Aristo's concerns? And as we go through these, I think for those listening, you don't need to be in fully, fully in camp Aristo to say that he's got some good points, right? You can, you can say, you can acknowledge that an over-reliance on, on these kind of heuristics or these kind of rules of thumb, uh, is, is harmful or can be harmful without going full Aristo, which is, which is an intense position to take. So his first criticism, so actually the way the letter works for those who haven't read it, I'm summarizing Seneca here. So Seneca goes and lists uh, Aristo's criticisms. And this is like one of our actually best sources for Aristo's thought actually is this, is this letter from Seneca. And then Seneca goes and counters those. So I, I'm, what we're really going to do is, is discuss and break down the debate, which is what Seneca uh, is doing in real time as well in his letter. So Aristo's first criticism is that rules ignore the root problem. Um, so to quote Seneca, if something affecting the eyes interferes with vision, it must be removed. As long as it is there, it's a waste of time for someone to advise the person, walk like this or stretch out your hand there. And we can think of these, maybe if I think of these rules in terms of productivity, right? Like get out of bed at six in the morning every day, uh, eat three balanced meals with the right amount of nutrition, work out five times a week. It's like, well, those telling me to do those things is not really helpful if I have a problem with my self-control, if I have a problem that's, that's more of a root foundational problem. So when you, give, when you tell me to get out of bed every morning at, at six in the morning and go for a run, that's not really, yeah, you're, you're, you're I, I, know, I know that already, right? That's not, I know that that's going to make me healthier or help uh, improve, my, improve my habits. You're ignoring the root problem, right? If I have an issue with my anger, if you tell me don't be angry, don't tell what other, don't take what other people say personally, this is not really going to help with my anger, right? That's, that's, that's Aristo's uh, uh, comment. And to quote Seneca again, rules will, will be of no use as long as the mind is clouded by error. Once this cloud is dispelled, one's obligation in each instance will become evident. Otherwise, you are not curing the sick person, but only telling them how a healthy person ought to behave. I think that's a great line. When you give someone, when you tell an angry person not to be angry, you're not curing the sick person. You're telling them how a healthy person is. Um, that's not curing. Uh, so that's the first criticism. Yeah, yeah. I suppose if well, another way to put it is, if you're telling someone to you know, giving them this sort of productivity advice or even advice of, you know, stick with it, uh, persist and resist. The fundamental challenge I might be facing is that they overvalue the indifference of pain totally. or perhaps overvalue the indifference of material success. So if you tell someone who's, you know, as, as Seneca says, their vision is clouded to persist and resist. They might think something like, oh yes, pain is nothing to me. I need to sacrifice in order to achieve material success or 
uh, excellent reputation because that's where my happiness lies. And in that sense, the person is not understanding Stoic philosophy, right? Because they don't, they haven't internalized the one of the core principles that uh, the happy life is the virtuous one and isn't contingent on external external factors. And that's a great point, Caleb. And that's Aristo's point is this idea that you know if if you don't have your beliefs on right, if you haven't internalized Stoic theory and and actually uh, made it part of your your belief system, if you haven't moved towards knowledge, these rules are not going to be helpful because these rules are um, only actionable by people that already believe them, as you said. So you, you have some sort of issue in your belief system. You have some sort of issue in your character where, you know, the, with the example of sleeping in or something, you know, you, you overvalue the, the pleasure of staying in bed you, or you overvalue the pain of getting out of that bed or you don't value enough being the kind of person that can motivate yourself, having that kind of consistency of character. There's some sort of, whatever it is, there's some sort of knowledge. And those are not necessarily easy things to change. I'm not sitting here mm-hmm. pointing my finger at people that struggle with productivity. But the point is to say, to tell that person, get out of bed at this and this time, this many times a week, is not solving the problem. There's the, there's the, there's the cloudiness still there. Aristotle's point is not, just that this is useless, it's that you're missing the important work, which is that internal character work, that internalization of Stoic ideas. Uh, great. Nice, nice, excellent. Yeah, I think that's um, well put. So the next criticism, so we're going to go through five here. First was that rules ignore the root problem. Second one is that people who have memorized the rules often break them, showing that they are useless, which shows that they're useless. This is uh, connected to the previous one, right? It's the same idea. This person says, well, I know I'm supposed to get out of bed at six uh, and go for a run, but I don't. So it shows that they're not really that, that helpful. And Seneca provides this lovely example, or maybe it's Aristo's example, that teachers will give all these rules to school children. They'll tell them how to act. They'll tell them how to behave. Uh, this is how you be a good person. And then the teacher turns around and breaks all these rules. And the quote here from Seneca the teacher who argues that one should never get angry is himself highly irascible. If you go into an elementary school, you'll learn that these sayings, gravely propounded by philosophers, are in the children's exercise book. And so there's this point there that A, the teacher knows these rules and breaks them, but B, the kids have been learning these rules, you know, from your first uh First time you you read a story in a children's book and you get this like moral of the story be honest or this moral of the story about, you know, be kind to other people or don't lie. You learn these things when you're five, six, seven, kids are still lying. Kids are still breaking these rules. I wouldn't say if they're helpful. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty extreme position that Aristotle's taking here, but um, clearly they're not by themselves sufficient. At the very least, we've seen that. Many people can recite them. Many people have memorized them, but fewer people are able to act on them. Right. One could say is that it's one thing to weakly believe a rule and another to know it, to deeply internalize it. And to perhaps to make Aristo's argument uh, as strong as possible, he's saying that latter part, that ability to deeply internalize the rule is what really matters. And like once you've done that, then then you're set. You don't need to yeah. worry about or, but then- uh, anything else, right? Well, his point, and then his point is that what does that work to deeply internalize internalize the rule look like? 
it looks like doing the hard work towards virtue. It doesn't look like reciting and memorizing rules is what you're going to say. So it's this way of, of it, again, it's a chicken. I don't know if it's a chicken and the egg issue. I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but it's the, you know, the, the people who have internalized the rules don't need them. And the people that haven't internalized them, they're useless for. So don't sit there. If you haven't internalized them, reading all the rules, go and, uh, you know, study Stoic philosophy, put in the hard work and, and beca- become the kind of person that acts them out, not, not recites them or memorizes them. Right. Yeah, I think there's Aristo's position is somewhat similar to, I think, other philosophers who, in a sense, think morality, if you have the right uh, perspective, is easy. I, I think Confucius has this line, yeah. is goodness really so far away? If I simply desire goodness, I'll find that it is already here, which uh, is an ex- amazing quote, but also, I think, points out to this view of psychology where what matters is like, you know, connecting with the good, doing your best to uh, be excellent. And then if you have that orientation, then in whatever context you're in, you'll be able to understand what needs to be done to the best of your ability. And that's where you start, not with even, uh, you know, reading about philosophy per se. Yeah. It's a totally different way of looking at moral improvement, right? It's a, it's a, it's a totally different way of, of thinking about the direction, the direction that you come at it from, which is always really helpful to just consider. Uh, like, you know, am I, am I thinking it enough like um, Aristo? Like, should I, should I come back to that? You know, am I making it harder than it needs to be? <laughs> Can it just be easy to grasp? That's a, it's, a, it's always a good thought. So those are the first two rules. Ignore the root of the problem. People who and then people who have memorized them clearly don't follow them, showing that them they're they're on their own, not sufficient. The third criticism, I'm paraphrasing as obvious rules don't need to be said. Complicated or confusing rules need further uh, explanation. So if a rule is easily grasped by somebody, if it makes a lot of sense, if it's apparent and obvious, um, then you're not doing anything helpful by saying it out loud. But if it's not apparently obvious, if it's complicated uh, and specific, well, then it needs further explanation. And then, well, you're not, it's not any helpful unless it's accompanied by that whole set of theory, that whole foundation of stoicism that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. So something to keep in mind there. And again, another variation on the play that, you know the rule is helpful if you already understand everything behind it, and if it if it's if it's not if you can understand it as a non-Stoic, then maybe Aristotle's fear is that it's a bit of a platitude, or a bit of a kind of a something obvious, you know. So that's the third criticism. Number four is that giving rules to someone who agrees is unnecessary. Telling them to someone who disagrees is insufficient. Same kind of same kind of play on the same theme here. Yeah, and I suppose it, that one interesting bit about this argument is, I think this fourth one is that he's saying actually knowing about the rules once you've internalized the core ideas of Stoic philosophy isn't that useful, and because you know you just uh, need that once you have the core Stoic philosophy, you're presented with the situation, then you're going to be able to work through what what needs to be done. Yeah, they're just it's um. It's unnecessary because it's repeating back to them what they already know. And then the fifth criticism 
if you give rules for specific situations, there will be an infinite number of rules. And so this idea that goodness can't come from knowing and applying rules because then there could never be a good person because there would be more rules to know than could be possible to know. So goodness must come from deciding upon the right thing to do, maybe creating rules in the moment. I think they're not really rules at that point. It comes from like reasoning what to do, being an agent, being proactive, but not from a deductive kind of rule-based reasoning. Okay, I'm in situation A, so I should do action B because there's just too many specific situations to account for that. And I think I think with this last one, you can think of it in terms of like any sort of skill-based activity, right? The Stoics thought of virtue as a craft. I think that's important to come back to and not forget. So anything else you do that's skilled, painting, sport, art, anything like this, well, writing, any craft that we have, the Stoics are going to say, well, it's very analogous to Stoicism in terms of how you get good at it because they're the same kind of thing. They just have a different object of improvement. And I mean, most people do the kind of, most people would agree that there, there's a lot of rules at the beginning level, paint like this, don't do this. But then the brilliant people, the ones that break the rules from their position of knowledge, their kind of savant uh, creation of something new, whether that's an excellent soccer player doing something that, you know, you would never recommend a U15 children's team to do but they're just able to do it or whether that's you know the way picasso paints or the creation of a new type of art there is a kind of brilliant perception of the correct course of action that's done mm -hmm. by highly skilled people that necessarily requires a rejection of rules and i don't know if that's a that might not be in full support of aristo's argument because he seems to be criticizing the use of rules for beginners as well um but I think it at least speaks to the idea that the best people don't use these. At best, they're probably something for an intermediate. I think that last, um, that last argument is particularly compelling in that regard. Yeah, there's a sense in which these rules, they're just, they're just training wheels. And you see that mm -hmm. they're going to be flawed in particular ways once you uh, to learn more and come to internalize more of a, of a given skill, whether that's sports or uh, art or broad skill like uh how to think well or how to be how to be virtuous in different situations mm -hmm. cool so anything else on so those are those are his five arguments against rules um anything you want to add Kel, before we get to seneca's counter argument his defense of rules yeah so we have rules ignore the root problem uh people who have memorized the rules often break them showing that they're useless. Obvious rules don't need to be said, whereas complicated or confusing rules need that further explanation. And then fourth, giving, some, giving rules to someone who agrees is unnecessary. Telling them to someone who disagrees is uh, insufficient. Five, if you give rules for specific situations, there will be an infinite number of rules. I think there's, you know, of all these criticisms, I think the first one, uh, is interesting. I think that re really focuses on Aristo's radical perspective of, you know, starting with ensuring that you're good and then letting the, those specific good actions fall out from that. 
Um, and then some of these, some of these other ones are important as well, but I think, you know, as we'll, we'll see how, how Seneca interacts with them, but in a way yeah. can be understood as, you know, these are in fact, almost, you know, heuristics themselves about how to avoid using rules poorly. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I would say the first one rules, ignore the problems. That would be the strongest argument for why they're not good things to use for beginners. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, if if you give rules for specific situations, there'll be an infinite number of rules. I think that's a good example of why rules cannot be sufficient for advanced practice. And then, as you said, those other three are just like maybe warnings of wrong times to use them. But that that clouding your judgment, you need to remove the root cause. That's That's what we need to do to help beginners. And then clearly the skilled soccer player doesn't just follow rules. They're kind of a an expert in the moment. So is the skilled person, the excellent person. So, but how does Seneca counter these? How does Seneca defend Cleanthes' position here? So he he goes through in the chapter and he defends, he goes, he's like, I'm going to talk about these one by one. I'm just going to go, I'm going to dig straight into it. It's a fun chapter. Um, And so he goes through them one by one and counters them. So first is rules ignore the root problem. That was the one we just talked about as being strong and radical. Seneca's point in response to this is that, yeah, look, you're right. Rules by themselves do not cure the root problem of ignorance, but they can be helpful when combined with other strategies. So they they refresh our memory, they direct our attention, they break down complicated topics into manageable chunks. I think that's the main advantage of um, these kind of inspirational quotes or these pithy lines is this idea that, look, you're really capturing a lot in a way that's easy for me to remember. And third, even those who cure their false desires or fears need to be told what to do. So we need advice. Beginners uh, need advice about what to do proactively. So they, they might be sick. If we're using that analogy, they might, have, they might be doing vicious things. They might be doing wrong things. But curing their vice doesn't give them proactive goals okay, you know, you're doing this wrong, but this is the right way to do it. And so they need that, they need that role model. They need those uh, guidance for positive behavior. And I think it's a pretty common sense objection by Seneca, which is to say, look, like, I'm not saying ignore the root cause. I'm not saying, you know, pretend like the root causes, there there isn't a, a root character problem that leads to these things. But Giving people reminders helps direct their attention and focus. It helps break down, um, you know, you, you raised the line earlier, Caleb, of persist and, and resist. You know, giving people a simple line to hold on to mm-hmm. has, a, has a demonstrated motivational effect. Giving them like a, a phrase to, to latch on to has a demonstrated motivational effect. So don't ignore the root cause, but supplement your therapy of the root cause through focusing attention uh, by using these kinds of heuristics or proverbs. And then second, you know, tell people, tell people what, so we use the example of, we were using the, the, the oversleeping example. Um, so maybe you have some sort of character issue that causes you to over, to, to, you know, procrastinate or stay in bed in a way that makes you frustrated with yourself. But attacking that doesn't give you a, an opposite course of action. And so the rules give you kind of a proactive goal or a positive goal the same way we would use a role model. 
I think it's a pretty compelling counter argument. What do you think? There are a number of, a few different ways to respond to this, but I suppose, you know, what do you think? Maybe one question is of which of these is the most important? And I think that part of, of course, part of what, one of the main focuses of stoicism is managing impressions well. How do you do that? You notice impressions as they arise. And then at that point, you can apply stoic principles, both the fundamental teachings, but also these rules or stoic advice you get. And the the advice and rules can be especially useful for the reasons that Seneca notes. They can bring our attention to what's important, you know, break down the philosophy in an understandable way, and then also provide some of that, you know, knowledge about this is generally what you ought to do unless you have a strong countervailing reason to do something else then just just do this right um and i think the fine approach yeah and so let, let me get into the second one but the, by the time we get to the second one which was this idea that people who have memorized the rules often break them like the school teacher or like the kids who have learned this in their uh first time they read a, a fairy tale they learned these lessons. When we get to that counter argument, Seneca's criticism of that point is this idea that reminders are a, a useful philosophical exercise because they work well with our attention. They focus our attention. And that's a reoccurring theme that Seneca is going to come back to here is I, I think he's a much more down to earth than Aristo practical about you know what actually helps people and what helps people is this kind of memory aid, this kind of attention focusing, this kind of bringing your perspective onto a certain idea and focusing that perspective. And so his quote here around, you know, what do we say to people who have memorized the rules but don't follow them? Seneca says, quote, a reminder does not teach, but it does call attention. It arouses us, focuses the memory, and prevents it from slipping away. The mind often pretends not to notice things that are obvious. And so it must be forced to take note of even the most familiar matters. And Seneca's point here is, again, about, yeah, you, you, you've, you've already memorized it, but there's maybe three levels of understanding. One is memorization. I can retrieve this or recite it. Mm. Another is I'm focusing on it. I'm paying attention to it. I'm having it guide my action the best way that it possibly can, given my current level of progress. And then the third level is, well, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm virtuous. I don't need that rule called to my attention because I'll, I'll follow the rule. And you can think of this, you know, we talk about this in skill development about like um, this difference between unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, and then unconscious competence. Unconscious competence being, you know, I can do the, I can do the thing without even realizing I'm doing it because I've practiced it so much. And we can think of precepts and reminders almost as this conscious competence. Okay, this is a rule. I know I'm supposed to follow it and I'm following it because I'm focusing my attention on it. And there's a real, and, and Aristotle's almost like, well, if you're unconsciously competent, why would you need that rule? Can't you just like, can't you just perfectly dribble the ball? Can't you just perfectly paint? Can't you just perfectly navigate this complex ethical situation? And it's like, well, that's that's not how people act when when they're when they're flirting between conscious incompetence and conscious competence. They need the they need the help to to practice. And one way to do that is to direct our attention and direct our focus. 
and so I, I love that reminder from from Seneca, and I think that for me is the strongest theme around precepts and these heuristics is that idea of let's let's really focus our attention. Yeah, I think running through these responses from Seneca is this i this theme that Aristo is overlooking the process of moral development, and that at the end stage you do see what Aristo may be des describing, but um, as one is developing, learning uh, about Stoic philosophy, improving one's beliefs, that's where rules and advice are going to be useful. And I think that's that, uh, not so surprising when you think about skill development and in other areas as well. Um, yeah. uh, as, as, as you say, you start with often people will start with a mix of just engaging in the activity itself, engaging in small segments of the activity, maybe drilling or uh, you know, painting, very particularly easy uh, track to do. And then a good, any good teacher will both let the students improve on their own without offering advice, but also maybe step back and help them reflect and even give them uh, important rules that they might use. And then as they develop uh, more, as they become more and more skilled, those rules might fall away and they'll see, oh, this is the real meaning of that advice. This is when it applies, this is when it doesn't, and so on. Yeah, I think about like something like, you know, in basketball, like make three passes before you shoot or something. <laughs> and it's like, you know, obviously you're you're restricting LeBron James if you tell LeBron James in the NBA Finals to make three passes before he shoots. But that doesn't make it bad advice for a bunch of grade sevens. In terms of progression, in terms of this actual development, and maybe, maybe Aristo was just the ethical savant, right? Same way some people are very talented at basketball and they're going to outgrow their grade seven coach quite quickly. Maybe he was that kind of person in terms of stoicism. And maybe there was a kind of lack of empathy for us as mortals, as regular people. It's a, it, it is a, it's a tool to help progress by focusing attention. I think that's the strongest thing that we're going to come back to again and again that Seneca points out. So criticizing this or defending against Aristotle's criticisms one by one, the third one was that obvious rules don't need to be said. Complicated or confusing rules need further explanation. Seneca's counter is that, well, look, obvious rules have an immediate impact on our nature and attention. So obvious rules, when you say they don't need to be said, again, you're forgetting this point of progress. They, they immediately, they, they might be obvious or understood when called to our attention, but they can often fall out of our attention, right? Mm -hmm. Remember to walk away when you're getting angry. That might be obvious to anybody you tell that to after they remember it, but it might not be in their mind when they're getting angry. Um, so uh, obvious rules immediately work on our attention. Um, they can also articulate things you subconsciously hold to be true, but are not, again, our subconscious are not uh, recognized in the moment. This makes stating them useful, uh, even if you already agree with them. And so another beautiful quote by Seneca here, virtue is roused by a touch, a nudge. Besides, there are some things that are indeed present in the mind, but not accessible. These begin to be usable when they are put into words. Some things lie scattered over the mind's different compartments, 
and an untrained intellect cannot assemble them. Hence, they need to be united and connected so they will be more effective and do more to elevate the mind. So this is a point, I think that, so the first part is that obvious things, you know, they, they call our attention, that's great. Virtue is roused by a nudge. But I think the second point has to do with that complicated claim, which is to say, sometimes we can hold bits of things that we don't see the connection between them, or sometimes we can, we, we might know more than we realize. And a yeah. well-put heuristic, a well-put precept, a well-put proverb connects these things. I think about when people first learn about stoicism and you tell them the dichotomy of control. You know, there's some things up to you, some things that aren't, and you should focus on the things that are up to you and do your best not to concern yourself with the things not up to you. Most people will go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. That's something that I always kind of thought about, but never really knew how to say before, or never put it into such clear words before. 80% of people have that reaction when they hear the dichotomy of control. And that's Seneca's point here, I think, is that, look, you know, you, there, you, you recognize the truth of this kind of subconsciously. It's kind of scattered across your mind. And the heuristic or the, 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 the rule of thumb here helps you unify it into something that's actionable for you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that's okay. So number four, giving rules to someone who agrees is unnecessary. Telling them to someone who disagrees is insufficient. So Seneca points out again this theme of the progressor. So most people are struggling to be good, Seneca says, and rules can help the soul recover even if they initially disagree unless they're totally vicious. So uh, you can disagree with a rule, but be, being given that rule can help put you down the path of progress, right? Unless you're totally, unless you're totally gone. Uh, unless, you know, there's no point of talking to you about anger, stealing, murder, talking about this at all has no effect. You're totally gone. Well, then you're not a progressor anyway. You're just totally vicious. So, but for any progressor, even if that person is fighting back against the person, it doesn't agree. You're still getting them in the, that kind of conversation. You're still rousing these thoughts in them and helping pull them towards a better life. And so, um, one, the one thing Seneca says here, quote, is that the only difference between the principles of philosophy and rules is the generality of the former and the specificity of the latter. They are both prescriptive, the one universally and the other at the level of particulars. So Seneca's point here is to say, look, well, if rules are useless, then all of philosophy is useless because they're both just claims about how to live. Just one of them is particular and one of them is general. So if, if that person can be helped at all by studying Stoic philosophy, then they can obviously be helped by talking about specific rules, specific heuristics for specific situations as well. Um, so, you know, even if someone disagrees, philosophy is helpful. Not everybody comes into philosophy thinking virtue is the only good. And so likewise with rules, even if someone disagrees with a rule, doesn't mean it's useless for them. You can begin engaging them in that exercise of philosophy by talking about these heuristics, these these. Uh, proverbs with them. Yeah, yeah. I think Seneca's too strong against this objection. At least I think it's can be more informative for practice than you might give it give it credit. Um, and that's probably connected to the this next objection, right? Which is that if you give rules for specific situations, there's always that concern. Well, then there's going to be so many of them, or say it another way, many of these rules are approximate 
or general rules of thumb. And there's that always that issue of do you understand the context in which a rule applies and the context in which it doesn't. And merely hearing about it uh, isn't going to help you know, you know what particulars does this rule apply to rather than not, uh, which is, I think, a, a significant difference between these universal principles of philosophy, which just apply to every situation, and then especially some of these more specific rules about how to be a good husband, wife, child, citizen, uh, and so on. Okay, so Caleb, your point, is, your point is like you're not totally convinced by Seneca's counterargument here. Seneca's counterargument is something like, look, both, pr both principles of philosophy and rules are the same thing. They're just one's general, one's specific. And you're like, no, that, your point is like, no, that makes a big difference, Seneca, because things that are general, you don't need to know how to apply. You just need to work to understand them because they, they always apply where the specifics, you know, how to be a good husband. There's a lot of nuance there that if you're not, if you're not already at a certain level of progress, you can get wrong and then it can actually be harmful. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, well, yeah. I mean, I think I generally agree with Seneca's objections. It feels like, you know, he's beating up on poor Aristo here, but he's maybe at least <laughs> not pulling out what's uh, of value or that there is in fact a useful warning yeah. here. And the warning applies specifically to rules just because of, of what you said. They apply to particular situations. Um, and in order to know when they apply, there's that additional feature uh, of knowing when a rule applies and when it doesn't, which you don't have with the core principles of philosophy. Yeah, that's a good point. Um... Oh, I, I, there is a so one interesting thought with for the next objection. You know, if you give rules for a specific situation, so be an infinite number of rules. That that objection, uh, Seneca actually makes the move that with the most important things, you do have advice heuristics that essentially apply to every particular. You know, realistically, if you take something like don't lie, don't murder. Of course, you can think of some kind of counterexample, but in general, one should never do those things. At least that's a, a possible point of view. That, and there's going to be some amount of rules that meet that sort of stronger. Uh, as all, all, you know, they're almost effectively absolute rules just because of the way the, way the world ha happens to be set up. I think that's, that's an interesting situation. Maybe a opens a whole nother can of worms about whether there are these kinds of rules in stoicism or not. Um, but I think that that was, that, that was an interesting move that, that stuck out to me from this letter. Yeah. So Seneca's, yeah. So Seneca's rejection of the argument that there's going to be an infinite number of rules is say, as you said, no, there's a, there's a limited number of rules around the most important things. There's maybe there's a slightly different articulation in terms of time, place, and person, but the generic rules, although these essential general rules apply in, uh, even if you're changing you know, those specifics. I think you're right that it does open up that can of worms about, um, I guess, how, like, um, how situational is Stoic ethics, that difference between, um, because Seneca is not Epictetus, right? Like often we make this rule, we make this kind of 
play where we say, well, look, when we're looking at particular matters, we want to look at role ethics. Epictetus is really big on that. That comes from previous Stoics, right? Like um, Panatius. Like, so it, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's not something Epictetus made up, but not something you see as much of in Seneca, um, who's maybe coming back to saying, look, there, there are some kind of general rules of action that you can follow 99% of the time. And that's what Stoicism is, is like understanding those rules of action, uh, or that's the bulk of what Stoicism is, which is interesting, an interesting way of thinking about it. And, and certainly not, not how Aristo thought about it, hence Aristo's concern, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then, then the last thing, this is not actually a criticism from Seneca, but I think it's a great, it's not a criticism of Aristo. But it's another argument Seneca makes in favor of precepts that I think summarizes his position really well. So I wanted to quote it. Um, he, and this is basically the argument that we need rules, reminders, precepts, quotes as a kind of counterbalance to all the corrupting stimulus we receive daily. So Seneca says, quote, we need to counteract all these examples that crowd into our eyes and ears and empty the load of harmful speech from our hearts. Sanity consists largely in abandoning the advocates of insanity and getting far away from an association that is mutually harmful. Therefore, if we are situated in the midst of a noisy city, let there be a preceptor at our side to contradict those who laud vast amounts of wealth and to praise instead the man who is wealthy on little and who measures wealth by how it is used. So it is just, it's just this almost just this like stimulus battle, right? It's like you're getting advertisements that are like, care about how you look, care about the car you drive, care about what people think of you. You're constantly getting, constantly getting input like this over and over and over again. And Seneca's saying, well, look, you need a kind of, you need another input to fight against that. And that's what precepts can be. It's this attention argument again, but it's this intention or in uh, attention argument, not I, I'm meditating in a cave and I need to, to think of a quote to draw my attention to the right thing in my meditation practice. It's no, I'm walking through a city and I'm constantly getting hit by stimulus that pulls me in non-stoic directions. The least I can do is, you know, have some stoic, uh, have some stoic uh, Instagram pages when I open up social media, so that I can get some of that positive influence instead. It's this kind of war of stimulus in a way that, you know, Seneca living in the bustling city of Rome, I think, was really aware of. I, th I thought yeah. it was a good argument. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that's well put. So, I think I think one of the the key themes is. Seneca has a realistic picture of what moral development looks like for us and rules are going to play a large part in that. And then what one can take from Aristo is many of these arguments are so examples of ways people misuse rules, yeah. don't understand them, misapply them and so on. And then we have that, that first uh, argument, which is the, that focus on the root issue, which is, you know, ensuring that one is too you know, oriented towards virtue, I suppose, you know, oriented towards the good. And then from there, then, then you can learn how to apply, apply rules well, which is related to, to any skill. You know, if you want to teach someone to be an excellent chess player, yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult to succeed if they don't have that desire to be good at, at chess. Uh, at all, um, so that maybe there's that that reminder that to value uh, this project of becoming 
or virtue as becoming more stoic, whatever it is. I know. I think that I think that's really well put, and I think that Seneca kind of. I think Seneca almost strawmans Aristo, or maybe Aristo strawmans himself, because it gets framed in this rule of like, well, is is Aristo right that rules are useless? And when you frame the conversation like that, I think Seneca rightly goes, "That's dumb." There's clearly a use here, but I think as you pointed out, um, Caleb, there is a there are problems with rules. There are problems with rules misapplied, um, and you need to you need to be cautious of those in your own improvement. And I ultimately just end up in that Cleanthes middle ground. Eh, Cleanthes seems like a, a reasonable guy. Rules are good as long as they follow the Stoic system, so or whatever system you believe. As long as they come, they accord with. They have reasons behind them. They're not just things that sound cool in the moment or interesting. There, there's a there's there's an argument behind them, and they do not replace learning about that larger system. So you don't you don't just rely on them and think, well, that's my moral education. Um, and Caleb, I don't know if you've seen these, but I would encourage anybody who's uh, you know, has a nice connection to this to look up Picasso's paintings from when he was fourteen, fifteen, um, and they're just these beautiful, uh, I would say like more traditional, I'm not an art historian, but very skilled kind of the, the ways that you would think of, of maybe, maybe like realistic paintings. And you, I, I, so then Picasso's known for all this like um, more abstract modern art, right? But that's clearly someone who mastered the rules and then broke them. Mm-hmm. And I think, that's, I think that's like a good analogy to end on, which is to say, Anybody who anybody who's clued into the realities of progressing at any skill, in, even personal improvement, knows the importance of rules. But also, um, you know, the greatest people I think are those that understand then when to break them after they've had a good a good mastery of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a that's a great example. There's a nice blog post in a blog called "The Atlas of Wonders and Monsters," entitled "The Figurative." to abstract art pipeline and it shows for a lot of abstract artists the skill in their earlier work and then how their work evolved as it became more minimalist more abstract because you i think especially when you look at some of these abstract works these modern works you think you know it kind of looks like these are a bunch of colored lines that could be put together (laughs) by a five-year-old but uh when you look at the trajectory a lot of these artists took then you see oh they you know the amount they they at least were skilled at doing some of these some of these basic more traditional representational style paintings uh and i think that you know forces you to see some of these later works in a different light yeah absolutely and i, I and and just connect that idea of of you know ethics philosophy as a craft as well and you know, you don't you don't get to that end state where you don't follow the rules by skipping that middle state. Awesome, sweet. Well, check out uh, Seneca's letter. That's letter ninety four. If you want to go to the source. Otherwise, uh, till next time.